Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the ABC Easy's One, Two, Three Edition. As I introduce you to one of the guys that Zach Taylor hears in his headset during games, Sam Francis. Sam's title is Football Data Analyst, meaning he's the guy who crunches the numbers and advises Zach on when to go for it on fourth down, when to try for a two-point conversion, when to start calling timeouts late in a half, etc. I'll talk to Sam about his path to Cincinnati and how he does his job during a game. Then, I'll spend a few minutes with the GOAT. Anthony Munoz and get his thoughts on the Bengals offensive line improvements and find out what advice he has for the players the year after going to the Super Bowl. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Jungle to the Hall 2. This Saturday, June 25th, Bengals superfan Jim Foster is organizing an event with a worthy purpose to try to get more Bengals in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Deserving candidates like Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, and Willie Anderson to name a few. The first Jungle to the Hall event took place last year in Canton, and this year it's being held at the In-Between Bar in downtown Cincinnati. I'll be there, along with my broadcast partner Dave Lapham, and Willie Anderson will be there too. Tickets are limited and going quickly, so if you're interested, act now. You can get all of the details by finding Bengal Jim on social media or by searching for Jungle to the Hall 2. Now... Let's get to my first guest. Last year, the Bengals ranked in the top five in the NFL for most points scored in the final two minutes of the first half. They were in the top five in fourth down conversion percentage, and they won five games on walk-off field goals, indicating skillful clock management in those situations. Sam Francis deserves some of the credit. As the Bengals football data analyst, he advises Zach Taylor on situations like those during games. I spoke to him this week about his job and how he landed it. Sam, let's start with your background. You attended Bates College in Maine, where you had a double major in math and economics. It feels like you should be managing a hedge fund. (laughs) How did you wind up working in professional sports? Uh, So when I was graduating, I I thought I was going to take a normal job in Boston, like a bunch of people. Sort of had a couple lined up, spoke to one of the fathers on on the lacrosse team that I was playing for. And I don't know, I kind of explained to him what I was thinking about doing. And he sensed little enthusiasm in my voice. So he he knew a guy who worked for the Bills, um, put me in contact with him, interviewed for an internship up there. Ended up getting it. That was right when uh, Sean McDermott was coming in and Rex Ryan was going out. So it was a little bit of a similar transition to what was going on in Cincinnati at the time. Worked for them for four or five months and then got a job with the Kraft Analytics Group, which is uh, based in Foxborough, sort of a, under the Kraft umbrella for the Patriots, but it's on the business side of analytics. And then the uh, the Bengals job came open in, in 2019 when Zach was starting. I threw my name in the ring and, and ended up in Cincinnati. Did you read Moneyball or Scorecasting <laughs> or, or other books about sports analytics and develop an interest in it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It was... 
I don't know. It was, it always seemed like a pipe dream while I was in college. Like you think about how few, few of these jobs there are. Um, I definitely saw Moneyball. I, I read it when I was, I was younger. Um, but that it's just, I don't know. It's, you always expect your want to be able to connect your, your passions for, for math and, and analytics and stuff like that with, with your passion for sports. But there's just so many people, so few people who get the opportunity to do it. Um, it's, it's definitely something I, I wanted to do, but, but I don't know. It's, it's always, you're always hoping for it, but you never know if it's actually going to come. And I'm, ha- I'm happy it did. As you mentioned, you came aboard with the Bengals and Zach Taylor's first year as head coach. Did you have specific marching orders or did you kind of develop the Bengals uh, analytics side of things on your own? Uh, there's some ideas that they they had in place, things that were that were asked of um, of people from the prior staff that was sort of why they created the position. It was, hey, we need to find the skill set to to fit what we're being asked to do that, that we don't really have that skill set in building. Um, so from the coaching side, I kind of worked with them to sort of build it up and make sure that we had systems in place that fit what we needed to do. Right. This this thing is so young around the NFL that you probably look at all 32 people around the league with my title and they probably do 32 different things. So what we try and focus on is what what works for us and solves the problems that we we have. Um, the one person who who I always try and give a shout out to who's who doesn't get a lot of shine is Tyler Gross, who's upstairs. So he was building out the scouting system and he's our web developer up there and he's phenomenal at his job. And he builds that out upstairs and been working with the scouts for I think I'm going into my fourth season. I believe this will be his fifth season, if not a little longer. Um, and he does a great job up there. So I, from a scouting side, I work with him a bunch to to add what I can add to the system that he's already built out for them upstairs. Sam Francis is our guest. I did a little internet research and I'm fairly certain I saw your father play lacrosse. He was an All-American at Cornell. He played in the 1987 Final Four, which I covered because Cornell faced Syracuse and beat (laughs) Syracuse in the semifinals. How did his athletic success and background influence you? So he coached me my whole life um, from when I was young. Uh, Picked up a lacrosse stick probably when I was three or four. Uh, throwing the ball around in the backyard with him and my brothers. Um, so he coached me my entire life all through, and all through high school. He was my high school lacrosse coach. He started the high school lacrosse program in Newburyport, uh, God, 2008-ish, somewhere around there, maybe earlier than that. Um, and you know, he was a great, great influence on me. Never missed a game while I was in college, was at every football game, um, at the majority of my lacrosse games. So it's kind of that, I don't know, a little bit of a coaching background that that I have. Him and my grandfather was the athletic director and coached out in Williston. And it's probably subconsciously what what drew me to to a position like this. Since your dad was an Ivy League athlete, did you discuss strategy and X's and O's growing up or just play like a normal kid would play? Uh, A little bit of both. I mean, he always wanted us to go out there and have fun. That's sort of his philosophy to lacrosse is it's a free-flowing creative sport that's it's built under some structure but it is at a certain point it's up to the players to go out there and execute you can't can't just have set plays every time it's a little bit like basketball in that sense um but there's I mean it was always my coach so there's always a little bit talk of strategy and how we were going to play and, and things of that nature and who we were playing and how how the matchups fit so you're a linebacker on the football team at Bates and obviously played lacrosse as well do those experiences have a big impact on you now Definitely. It's, I think what this position fills for me that uh, you don't really get in some other jobs is that, that sense of competitiveness, right? It's 
you you prepare all off season, you prepare all week, and you go out and test it on Sunday, and it's measurable. You win or you lose. Um, I think that's something that I've always enjoyed is is the preparation, and then you get to go actually see the results of that preparation and and how it pays off on on the field on Sunday. So let's get into the nitty gritty of your job a little bit. On game day, where are you, and what do you have in front of you? So I'm in the booth with with all the other coaches, um, talking to Zach and the other coordinators and everyone up there. And I've got all sorts of charts and stuff in front of me. Um, what I what I always try and mention is that the charts, it's it's nice to to chart everything out, but some of these decisions have to be made in three, four, five seconds. So you don't always have time to reference them. So it's really building it into your brain and making it second nature during the process of making the chart. And then during game day, it's, you don't always have time to reference that. So it's nice to have, but it's a little bit of comfort paper at certain point. Can you have a computer or a tablet in front of you or no? No, the only sort of technology you can have is those uh, surface tablets that have the play di- or play pictures on them. Um, same ones that they have on the sideline we have up in the booth. Um, but other than that, no, no computers, iPads, nothing like that. Sam Francis is our guest. Do you wait until Zach asks for your input or do you weigh in on a headset when you feel it's appropriate? Uh, whenever it's appropriate. You try and anticipate everything that's coming up. Some of these situations sort of jump up on you um, and there is really no time to, to anticipate. You got to just recognize it off the top of your head and process what, what you're going to suggest and, and be able to communicate that very quickly. Um, there are certain ones like the fourth down one, which gets a lot of publicity, uh, that's obviously something you can't anticipate because, you know, the downs are coming. You you sort of give them a heads up and first and second down. And you just try to find time where there's dead air on the headset to sort of slip in your message. And Zach's not always going to respond, but he he hears it. Um, and then he'll always he'll always ask questions if he has them. How about during timeouts? Timeouts, TV timeouts, challenges. Those are those are always a good time because you have time to think process. And there's always a little bit of open air where you have more than five seconds to communicate something. This is a young coaching staff. Do you think that's a factor in being open-minded about your input? I think so. I think it helps. Um, but there's, I've, there's people around the whole staff who, who don't necessarily fit that, that, that young description um, who are open to it as well. I mean, Mark Duffner's office, not, not to call you old Duff, but his, his <laughs> office is right next to mine. And I do a bunch of work with him um, throughout the season, throughout the offseason, really year round. So it's, it is, I think, generally, it does help. But I do think that, that there are people, young and old, who, who are open-minded to this. So we think of decisions like when to go for it on fourth down, going for a two-point conversion is pretty obvious things where you might be involved. But what are other in-game decisions that you might weigh in on? Uh, to help with, with, with challenges, um, sort of timing and, and aggressiveness at the end of the half, just anything that really is about managing the game and less about specific schemes and play calls and things of that nature. Um, just sort of while Zach's calling the plays, give him an overview of, hey, here's sort of the situation in the game. Here's here's what it looks like going forward. Here are some things that could come up and try to anticipate, trying to sort of be able to anticipate and give an idea of what's coming, what could be coming down the pipe while he's focused specifically on, hey, Here's the first and second down play calls. Here's we're third in this, third in that. Here's here's what we're going to want to call. Um, try to take some of that off his plate so that that he can he can focus on play calling as much as he can. So the Bengals were exceptional last year in the so-called middle eight. Last yeah. four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. 
Do you consider that to be a key stat? And was that a big point of pride last year? Yeah, I, I, we've taken a lot of pride in that uh, every season we've been here so far. Um, last season, sort of a lot of it paid off and we were super successful doing it, but it's something that, that we always focus on. It's the goal at the end of the half for, for most teams or really for all teams is, hey, you want to score as the clock ends with as little time as possible on it so the other team can't drive back down. And the only way to gain an extra possession in football is to also get the ball at the start of the second half. So you want to score with zeros on the clock, get the ball back and score again. Um, there's, it's proven that, that that really has an impact on winning. The less time that they have the ball in their hands, it sort of ends up being close, sometimes close to an hour in real time without the other offense having the ball. Um, and, and you get it twice in that, in that time. And if you can put 14 points on the board, that's, that's big towards winning. We're chatting with Sam Francis, the Bengals data analyst. What do you do in the off season? So it'll start right when the season ends, sort of help the coaches put the, the past season to bed, whatever reports and stuff they need there. Then it sort of turns to a scouting focus from there. Um, help, help Duke and his staff as much as you possibly can with, with getting ready for the free agency and the draft. And they've, by that point, it's sort of the 10th, 11th hour at that point. So, so they've got a lot of stuff. You're trying to just add as much value as you can. Working, working with Tyler Gross, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and then as soon as that ends, it's getting, getting everything we're going to need ready for the season. It's all the projects and pain points that we felt that, that we didn't have time to accomplish during the season. Um, making sure we've ironed those out and have processes and whatever it may be ready to, to solve those problems in season. Um, and then working with the new coaches who are on board and, and so what are you guys going to need? What did you have in the past? What are you going to need access to? How can I help you? Um, and just get them familiar with what we already have in place, but also pick their brain on what, what they've done in the past and what we can do to, to help us here. Do coaches or front office personnel give you projects? Yeah, for sure. I think coaching's obviously, it's, it's two different types of work. The scouting is more of a long-term project, right? So there are some solutions that work for coaching that don't work for that just because some the form of information I give you, if it's sort of a short-term fix, is going to get lost in the whole year-long process of scouting. Whereas coaching, it's you're asking me a question on Monday, you're using that to put it in the game plan on Tuesday, it's installed on Wednesday, and a couple of weeks later, you may want to reference that, but rarely you do. It's sort of a, a new game plan each week. So it's two different types of, of questions and information. One's more long-term, one's short-term. Um, but but definitely definitely getting projects from both sides. So when I was in college watching sporting events with my broadcasting wannabe fellow students, kids that were not prospective broadcasters used to hate it because we'd be picking apart the announcers the whole time. We couldn't just watch the game for the game's sake. Do you watch all sporting events with analytics in mind? Yeah, I think it's it's that's part of my job is I watch all the the situations in, in the league around, or situations from around the league each week. So I'm already watching those with, with that eye. And then if it's whatever, if it's Monday night football or Thursday night football, and I'm not in the office, I do end up watching it that way. Um, and then it's, it has bled a little bit into other sports where I was watching the Celtics in this past, uh, this past playoff run that they had. And they, the little trick they did where there, I think there was three minutes and 20 seconds or so left and they scored and the ball rolls out of bounds and they let the clock tick before they picked it up and tossed it to the ref. So they let about 20 seconds bleed off before they pass it in. Cause they think they were out 10 or so at that point. So they, oh, there are little clock tricks in every sport that, that maybe I'm not aware of. 
So there was a playoff game several years ago where the Patriots used an ineligible receiver to confuse the Ravens, and it led to a rule change in the offseason the next year. And then more recently in another playoff game, the Titans took a few minutes off the clock late in the game by having intentional penalties. That was against the Patriots before they punted, and that led to a rule change without giving away any secrets. Are there still loopholes in the rules that you dream of exploiting in the right situation? Yeah, there's there's a few. Um, they've gotten they've done a very good job of sort of closing the big ones, um, but there's a few that, that we've recognized, and they're in very unique niche situations that probably will never come up. But that's one thing I learned early on working with Dan Pitcher that I did in the first year is uh, you got to prepare for everything, and some of this stuff is probably never going to come up, but you got to treat it as if it is. You got to take it seriously, and you got to have a plan for if it does. Um, because the worst thing is, is if it kind of comes up and you recognize it but aren't, aren't prepared to sort of take advantage of it or to handle that situation. Um, so that's that's one of my jobs is to know the rule book inside and out and be able to to advise Zach when those sort, sorts of things come up. Um, but there's they've done a really good job of making sure that there aren't those uh, those little loopholes in the rule book, like you mentioned. How does a data analyst deal with luck? I think that's football. I think that's what makes football as successful a business as it is. That's why it has the popularity. It's, it's not predictable. Um, it's baseball is probably the most predictable and that's the example, but that's what makes football football. What makes football great is on any given Sunday, you don't know who's going to win. Right. And it is predictable to a sense. That's sort of my job is to try and make it as predictable as possible and be able to predict certain things that are going to come up. But that's uh, that's why people love football is on any given Sunday, any team can come out on top. So I hear from a lot of aspiring young sportscasters who would like to get into broadcasting. I imagine a lot of young people would like to do what you're doing right now. What advice do you give them? Find a way to gain experience. That's what I always tell them. Um, there's know, 32 of these jobs, but there's, I mean, there's more than that because obviously teams have multiple people in, in certain positions, but there's very few of these jobs and, what people are always looking for in a job is you have to have experience, right? And that's a tough thing to get for this job because there's only so many sports teams that you can go work for that have these positions. So I always tell them, you're always going to lead with, Hey, I want to, like I mentioned earlier, connect my passions for math and analytics with my passion for sports. That's awesome. That's, that's great. Like you can't do this job without that, but I always look for the follow-up of, so I did whatever, right? I did this project on my own time, it was my thesis or for this class, whatever it may be. I took this internship. Um, one of the big ones now is Michael Lopez, who's the director of analytics with the NFL, is actually a Bates grad as well. Um, so he runs every year this this competition called the Big Data Bowl, and it's open source. He takes actual NFL data, the next gen stats data. I think this past year had PFF data as well, and he provides it publicly to anyone who wants to enter the competition. You get to work with real NFL data and solve problems brainstormed by real NFL people, coaches, scouts, et cetera. Um, and you get to submit a, submit a project. It's part of the competition and there's judges. Um, I believe a couple of years ago, the new GM of the Vikings, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was a judge in it. So there are real NFL people looking at this. Um, and to me, that's probably the greatest way to gain experiences is to solve actual NFL problems with actual NFL data and have them judged by actual NFL people. I don't think it gets much better than that. Um, so that's, I always point people in that direction of if hey, you're looking to do this, you got to sort of take initiative to gain experience 
it's not an easy thing, but here's sort of a competition and, and some, a resource that's out there for you to do so. Did you write a football related thesis at Bates? I did. I wrote uh, about uh, like salary cap inefficiency and sort of how intra-team wage disparity affects winning in the NFL. Looking back on it, I would probably do the entire thing differently. Um, <laughs> it's sort of that's, I mean, that's, that's gaining experience. That's learning from learning from your experiences. I, I feel the same way about the stuff I did in Buffalo. It's you learn, you learn new processes, you learn new I don't know, strategies and different analytical tactics. And, and you sort of apply those as you go on. And then two, three years, everything moves so fast that you look back and you're like, I can't believe that that's, that's the, that's the strategy that I took. And that's how I decided to do it. But um, yeah, it's, it, I did. And it was, it was a good, a good learning experience for me and wasn't as intentional as I try and tell people to be about gaining experience. But looking back on it, it was one of the things that I was able to talk about and at least tell people in interviews that, Hey, I, I did this. And this is sort of why I don't know, this is, this is an initiative I took to sort of propel me to this type of career. Final thing for Sam Francis. How many of the players do you think know and understand what you do? Uh, there's a few. There's a few. I'm sort of that, that guy who's that who's around my office is right on the catwalk that overlooks the weight room. So they probably all see me. Um, I interact with some of them sometimes and I don't, I don't explain to them what I do, but I think some of them are aware just through asking questions to the coaches and whatnot. But um yeah, my office, my door's open. If anyone want to come discuss it, I'll, I'll give them a full rundown of it. Sam, this has been fun. I appreciate your time and look forward to seeing you at the training camp. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you. Sam mentioned the NFL's annual Big Data Bowl competition where contestants can win cash prizes based on their football research, and you can find a bunch of those projects online. For example, one of the finalists this year was titled Punt Returns, Using the Math... To find the path. Sounds like it's right up Darren Simmons Alley. If you want to check out some of the research, just search for Big Data Bowl. Before I get to my next guest, here's an invitation to grab your yoga mat and join Who Day on Saturday, June 25th at 9 a.m. for Namaste Yoga on the field at Paul Brown Stadium. Register now at Bengals.com slash yoga. It's presented by Cottonell in partnership with Kroger and Title Babe, period, bank. Anthony Munoz has been a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame since being enshrined in 1998, his first year of eligibility. But now, he's also working for the Hall in a new position called the Chief Football Relationship Officer. He'll help promote the Hall of Fame, engage with prospective business partners, and be involved in philanthropic efforts. The Hall of Fame could not have made a better choice. I caught up with Anthony this week at a golf event featuring the Cincinnati chapter of the NFL Alumni Association. Anthony, the Bengals had an obvious weakness to address in the offseason, and they did by signing three veteran established offensive linemen. What was your reaction? Well, I think I go back to, uh, I forget what press conference it was when uh, Zach said, just believe in our process, you know, because, I mean, first two years, quite frankly, but you could see things turn into culture and stuff. Uh, so that's what I continue to be impressed with is there was that glaring weakness. And, man, 
they didn't waste any time, and I was really happy and impressed that they went after, uh, you know, Kappa and Karras and uh, Collins right away and, and filled that need because, you know, so many times teams go to the draft. Now you're bringing in young guys that have to step in. Well, now you got some guys that a couple Super Bowl rings and, uh, you know, another guy that played for a pretty good football team with the Cowboys. So uh, with that being said, uh, I'm excited about what's going on. I mean, not only that, but then you lose Uzama and they go ahead and get Hurst. I mean, so it's like, okay, we lose somebody, let's get it. We have weakness. So I really like what's going on. Have you looked at those three offensive linemen closely over the years? Do you have any thoughts on any of the three? I really haven't. I, I haven't watched them a whole lot. Uh, but I guess anytime you come to another team and you're a starter on a Super Bowl team and you got a ring, you got to be pretty good, and you're playing with, I guess, a pretty good quarterback, you know, so you're protecting, uh, you know, probably the best ever. And then Collins, a little concern there, you know, on what happened, but, uh, you know, talking to Frank Pollock, who was there, coached him, he said he's pretty good talent. I guess uh, maybe a couple injuries in the past uh, and a couple others, but hopefully, you know, he comes in, stays healthy, and uh, and really plays up to <laughs> where he says he can. So, <laughs> Not Pollock, but Colin says he can. So, no, uh, I really haven't watched you know, any of the three at all, so I'm looking forward to watching them. Left guard is open. It sounds like the top two candidates going into training camp will be Jackson Carmen and the guy they drafted this year, Cordell Volson. Are you confident that a player will emerge at left guard that will be able to do a solid job? Well, I hope so. You know, uh, Jackson, I mean, you look at him and you watch him. I've watched him since, you know, high school days and college. He has the ability. I think the main thing is just understanding what he has to do and, and you know, stepping you know, stepping up. I mean, this uh, this young man they drafted, I mean, everything I hear about him, he's, he's got the mentality and, the you know, what you love to, to, to see in an offensive lineman. So what I love about that is you bring in a guy like that, you got Carmen who's been here, competition. You know, if you really want that job, Jackson, you got a guy that, you know, they're high on. And, and that's what I loved when I was playing. You always had somebody, you know, nipping at your heels, and I think that's going to be good. Competition's always great for her. So, you know, hopefully that'll happen. Uh, you know, they have Joan over there who now has some experience to help out. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'd like to see, you know, one of the two just really, you know, boom, rise to the top and, and take it over. Jonah's at your old position. Did you see a lot of growth there last year? I did. I mean, you know, I watched him closely, and I, you know, I've always liked his tenacity. I've always liked his work ethic. Uh, I've seen that uh, you know there's progress being made, so I'm I'm happy with that. Uh, you know, at first, uh, you know, you know, it's hard to to say. Hey, I was a little concerned for, but the guy's young. I mean, it's young, I and mean, you expect people to come in, you know, number one picks to to light on fire. And but uh, I have seen some uh, progress there, and I'm excited about to see how he continues to grow. What do you like about Frank Pollock? Well, I guess the first thing I like is the, the technical part of it. Anytime you're teaching sound, fundamentals, technique, I love. But the fact that he'll get in your face, I love that even more. You know, And guys like that, you don't have to be screaming and yelling all the time. You know when to do it. And uh, I forget, uh, I don't think I've ever seen I forget, you might want to help me, playoff game. He's like, by the number, screaming and yelling. I'm going, yeah, I love that. You know, and, you know, and, you know going back to, I hate to do this, but when Jim McNally was my coach, if something happened, I'd never come off the field where he wasn't at least three or four yards on the field kind of looking up and saying, okay, what happened? What happened? And don't tell me you don't know. <laughs> so, you know, accountability, and that's what I love about Frank. He's going he's gonna to give you the right things and really put you in the right position, but uh, he's not one that's going to shy away from uh, holding you accountable, and I love that about him. I was there at training camp last year when Joe Burrow approached you, stuck out his right hand and said, Mr. Munoz, my name is Joe, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. 
What's impressed you most about Joe Burrow? Well, if you remember that day, too, he sat there and uh, really encouraged Lapp and I to, to be around a lot and other guys to be around, how much they appreciated that. Uh, I mean, that to me spoke volumes that, uh, you know, here you got a young quarterback. A lot of times they kind of look, do I go over, do I not? And he just came right over, and, man, he was bold, and I love that. But just watching the way he... He handles it. And I'm not in inside the facility, so I can't see. But I love watching reaction, interaction. And you can you can tell that the guys absolutely love the guy, will follow him, and just uh, have fun playing with them. And to me, and not to talk about his physical ability, because that's over the top. I mean, I mean, someone who's got been hit that much and, and did what he did last year, you know he's a competitor. But I just love the intangibles of him, the, the leader he is. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he gets rattled inside, but he, he doesn't let you see that he's rattled. If something, and it always happens, if the adversity happens, man, he pops back and he, he makes things happen, you know, good after that uh, adversity. So I enjoy watching him. I really do enjoy watching him. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of a guy that I played nine years with in Boomer Esaias. And, you know, it's uh, very confident and tremendous leaders and uh, not bad with physical ability and the mental part of it. I mean, it's, uh, it's rare if uh, somebody uh, gets him on the mental side of the game. Last thing, he played on two Super Bowl teams. What's the biggest challenge the year after going to a Super Bowl? From that last game, the Super Bowl until camp, is, uh, is really keeping the priorities, not being – because you're going to be – pulled and tugged to do this and do that and not let that overtake what you have to do and that's get ready for another run and you know looking back at those two I think there was a little bit of that with us I think uh, you know I got to a Super Bowl now you're speaking here you're doing this appearance you're doing and you you forget you forget about what you know made it possible for you to do those appearances and that's busting your tail and getting ready and having a great year so I'd say that's probably the the biggest thing is the distractions of uh, taking away from your preparation Always appreciate your time. Congratulations on the new position with the Hall of Fame. The Hall could not have found a better ambassador. Well, Dan, appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, when that came up, I, I really didn't think that that was something that I'd be looking at. But, uh, you know, when I heard there was a lot of board members nominating me, I looked at the job description. I said, man, this is what I've been doing the last 20, 25 years. And I'm thrilled to be representing the entire Hall and everything that it uh, stands for. And I'm looking forward to building this new position uh, with our president. Anthony, by the way, held his annual golf tournament about a week ago to raise funds for the Anthony Munoz Foundation. Over the years, he's awarded more than $2.5 million in college scholarship money to students in need. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.